It's our two-year anniversary, and we're going to celebrate it the only way we know how. By watching a film with violence, unwanted displacement, and bestiality. There may be something not right with us, but not in our movie selection, because we are about to tell the world that Howard the Duck is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to the two-year anniversary of It's Not That Bad. I'm Jay, and joining me is my lovely wife, Carrie. Carrie, happy potiversary to you. How are you doing? Aw, potiversary. Right? Not to be confused with a potiversary? No, no, no. We're not, we're not doing Harry Potter. Oh, boo. Not yet, anyway. Well, it doesn't qualify. No, none of the Harry Potter ones do, no. Yeah, Fantastic Beasts. Secrets of Dumbledore. Story. Waiting for it. I, I could see that being a special episode there. So maybe, just maybe. I was just about to point out the factual uh, error in your intro that it's not actually our two year anniversary. No, 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 it's no. It's the podcast two year anniversary. It's the podiversary. I was, I was just about to say, what? No extra bonus for 18 plus. Years to that two years, 20 years served. I was to understand <laughs> that there was no math on the test <laughs> no, today. Right? I know. As I was saying it, I'm like, why didn't I just say 20 plus years and it, call ex- it a day? Exactly. Now, a couple of things I want to get out of the way before we talk about our movie today. First of all, thank you to everyone who has listened to an episode so far. We have crossed the 2,500 listen plateau. And to say that I am flabbergasted shocked and humbled is is putting it mildly you listeners are the absolute best and i cannot thank all of you enough for chiming into however many episodes you have listened to thus far and i hope that you continue to listen because coming up down the road we have tons more movies we're never going to run out of movies to cover no and full disclosure it wasn't me because uh (laughs) after i record them i don't generally listen so you don't want to hear so my voice me. over and over and over again? <laughs> so it wasn't. Hence the 20 plus years. Um. <laughs> 2,500 listens, but you know, it was actually me listening to us about 2,000 times. No, it, I, I don't. In, in reality, 2,000 2, of those is me li- going back to the episodes where you said I was right and listening to those on repeat. Oh, see, not, I ju- not the whole episode, just that snippet where you say, you know, oh, you're right. You're right. I just thought you cut that down for your phone ring, your ringtone. It's not mutually exclusive, you know. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. But since we're here, <laughs> and since it's our two-year anniversary, it's time to talk about a film that we had earmarked for a special episode, and today is definitely that episode, because we are talking 1986's Howard the Freaking Duck. It is about time. Woo! Now, in preparation for this, how long did you have the Howard the Duck song stuck in your head? Oh my gosh. You know what? The song wasn't as I remembered it to be. Not not as catchy? I don't know. Or not as earwormy? Yeah. Yeah. It was a little more rocky than I remember. But keep in mind, like, it's been a few years, <laughs> decades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I stopped counting, really. I, I was to understand there was no math on the test today. So it was 18 plus, give or take, about another 20 years. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I just want to put this into perspective here. <laughs> we are three years away from the 40th anniversary of this film. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was a little shocked today when we had a debate going in the house about when this movie actually came out first. And yeah. it was like. I thought it was 1982. Yeah. You, you thought it was way, way. Like 89. Like 89. And no, it's actually 1986. Somewhere in the middle. Exactly. Somewhere in the middle. But. Before we go down this road, before we tackle this special anniversary episode, it is time to take Howard the Duck and trailerize it. Before Doctor Strange added madness to the multiverse, before Loki killed Kang and triggered an interdimensional crisis, and before everything was everywhere all at once, one movie dared to pull things out of the multiverse and drop it into Earth's lap. Enter Marvel's foul, fearless, feathered fave, Howard the Duck. One of the first Marvel characters to have a live-action, full-length adaptation hit the big screen. Not Iron Man. Not Captain America. Howard the freaking Duck. He's joined by Beverly, a crypt-up rock star trying to not cramp his style while trying to help him get home. Together, they'll battle the dark overlord of the universe. And no, it's not Elon Musk. It's a film that puts the amp in camp and tries not to make this duck film yuck. Lucasfilm. Yes, that Lucasfilm brings you Howard the Duck. Rated PG for peaking God. <laughs> I had to look it up. I actually did duck research here. So an all white duck is actually a peaking duck. So yes, peaking God. That is Howard the Duck. Wow. I Every now and then when I start researching stuff for these episodes, I have to wonder just how much Google is taking a look at my search history and wondering if everything is okay. <laughs> I can just imagine the pop-ups after the fact. <laughs> can you imagine? You what might ad- be interested in what ads. About to say, what <laughs> ads are going to pop up now on, on my on my Google searches? Like, oh dear God, I, Google. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Google. I'm okay. I promise. I'm just a podcaster. <laughs> duck hunt. <laughs> duck hunting season. Right. A bunch of like hunting rifle websites. No, that's no. not cool. No, no, no. 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 Uh, if it becomes turducken porn, turducken, <laughs> turducken porn. I, I'm assuming it's a thing right now with a gangbang with a chicken, a duck, and a turkey. Well, how else can you describe a turducken <laughs> aside from like foul porn? <laughs> Again, sorry to any it's, of those who enjoy a turducken at Thanksgiving. It's like quacking off to play duck, right? <laughs> Oh, oh, the, the duck puns. You, oh you thought dad jokes are bad? Duck puns are coming all day long. But let's get into this film. The movie stars Leah Thompson, Jeffrey Jones, Tim Robbins, Ed Gale was the guy who was uh, the majority of the in-suit Howard the Duck work, although there was like a team of six people who did work on that. And Chip Zine is the voice of Howard the Duck. Now... There were also smaller roles in this film from names you might recognize. One of the band members of the Cherry Bomb Band is the cinematic debut of Holly Robinson Pete. Also, as the bartender in the rock club, it's Thomas Dolby. She blinded me with science, Thomas Dolby. Also, 
as an extra, future Foo Fighters guitarist Pat Smear. What? Is an extra in this film. Playing what? He's an extra. Okay. It didn't exactly say who he played. He was an extra. Okay, I need to rewatch and find Pat Smear. But he's so great. As you can imagine, there How was old a, was he? Uh, well, you have to think, right? This is 86. So the film probably was being filmed in 84, 85. So this is pre-Nirvana, pre-Foo Fighters, Pat Smear. So he's he probably, probably pretty young, yeah. He a kid. I don't know. How old is Pat Smear? Because he looks... Some days he looks really young like when he's on stage. <laughs> and some days he looks really old when he's not on stage. He's so fantastic, though. Oh, my gosh. Right? There is an almost starring in this one here. So... Hang tight, because there's some names in here that I cannot wait to hear your reaction to. Linnea Quigley, uh, known for Silent Night, Deadly Night, and The Return of the Living Dead, had said that she had auditioned for Beverly. She was upset that she didn't get the role. And then she saw the film, and she was happy that she didn't get the role. Also, auditioning for Beverly, as played by Leah Thompson, Phoebe Cates, Belinda Carlisle, I can see that. Tori Amos. <gasps> wow. Keeping in mind, too, this is before Why Can't Tori Reed came out, but apparently Tori Amos auditioned for the role of Beverly in this, and I would pay money to watch that. <laughs> also, apparently under, under consideration for the role of Beverly. Listen to these names, okay? Paula Abdul. No. Kim Basinger. Mm. Sarah Jessica Parker. No. Lori Singer, who played Ariel in the movie Footloose. And Jodie Benson, who is the voice of Ariel in The Little Mermaid and Barbie in the Toy Story movies. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you can see you can see that they were going for someone who not only could act, but could also sing. Under consideration for the voice of Howard the Duck, John Cusack and Martin Short. Oh, wow. Apparently, other actors who auditioned for the role, Robert Paulson, who you'll probably recognize best as the voice of Yakko Warner from Animaniacs, and Townsend Coleman, who I know I freaked out when I took a look at his filmography and saw that he was the voice of The Tick in the animated series that aired on Fox. However, Chip Zine, the guy who was the voice, uh, said once in in an interview that apparently Robin Williams was originally cast as the voice of Howard the Duck. And again, this is something that he said in an appearance that um, apparently Robin Williams walked off the set and quit because he was having problems syncing up what he was saying to the animatronic bill of Howard the Duck on set. I can see that because Robin Williams tends to speak fast Mm -hmm. so but you also have to think there's a timing thing like he's going to read his line at the same time you have a team of people working the animatronics to make the eyes and the bill work right it would be a whole pacing thing exactly like if you're not the one pushing the button it's hard to get that timing down pat another almost starting in this one in the role of phil blumbert as played by tim robbins apparently in consideration for the role was Jay Leno. (laughs) 
You're trying to picture it now, aren't you? Oh, my God. It would have been a completely different movie. Oh, much, much different movie. The film was directed by Willard Huck. And I, and I apologize if I, if I mispronounced that name. Remember, for the last two years, I'm still an idiot in the basement with the microphone. Um, his previous film, Best Defense, was also considered a box office bomb. However, it wasn't almost him in the director's chair. Apparently, Lucas approached John Landis to direct this film. He took a look at the script and said, no, 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 no. Um, the car chase scene at the end, it, Landis felt was too reminiscent of the Blues Brothers, which he had directed before. So he didn't want to go down that same road again. Apparently, there's too many cars he's destroyed in those Blues Brothers films. Oh, but has he ever worked with the... With Michael Bay? The No, the, the <laughs> wannabe airplane, the biplane there. No, no, the the ultralight, yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah, no, I don't I don't think so. I mean, don't tell me you wouldn't want to try an ultraflight oh, or an ultralight. For yeah. sure. Right? That's that's how you combat Toronto downtown traffic. Especially landing it on the top of a truck. Right? And then just let, coast it, dude. I don't know. The overpass though, you'd really have to have enough <laughs> get enough air and take off before yep. uh, land and pray is yeah. basically what it boils down to with that one. Now, of course, we are talking a cult classic film, and there are some accolades to this movie, although probably not the ones that people want to celebrate. At the seventh annual Razzies, this film tied in a win for worst picture of the year with Under the Cherry Moon, uh, the film that the second film that Prince did. Tim Robbins was nominated for worst supporting actor. He lost to Jerome Benton in Under the Cherry Moon. Willard Huck was nominated for Worst Director. He lost to Prince for Under the Cherry Moon. I'm seeing a pattern here. Next on It's Not That Bad, Under Under the the Cherry Cherry Moon. Moon. The film won for Worst Screenplay, won for Worst New Star for the Six People in the Duck Suit. Yeah, they they put everyone in there. Uh, Howard the Duck, the song, was nominated for Worst Original Song. It lost to Love or Money from... Say it with me. Under, Under the, the Cherry, cherry moon. moon. And the movie won for worst visual effects. But the Razzies weren't done with this one, though. At the 10th annual Razzies, so three years later, the film was nominated for worst film of the decade. Wow. They weren't done kicking DuckTail. Right? <laughs> woo <laughs> <laughs> However, surprisingly, it did not lose to Under the Cherry Moon. The 1980s worst film of the decade, according to the Razzies, was Mommy Dearest. But also, at the ninth Stinker's Bad Movie Awards, it won for Worst Picture that year. And, of course, the film is on Wikipedia's list for films considered the worst. And Wikipedia, I got a problem with that. Like, normally, I see a movie on that list and go, yeah, no, it makes sense. Not You don't, you don't mess with Howard the Duck. You don't. Wikipedia can duck off. see i'm saving myself a sensor button here this film is considered a box office flop though it had a budget of 37 million dollars and up to this point was the second most expensive film that lucasfilm had actually put together the most expensive at that point had been return of the jedi but howard the duck came in second as far as their expenses go Domestically, it only made $16 million and worldwide only $37.9 million. 
When it debuted on the August 1st, 1986 weekend, yes, I feel old. My, my hair is getting grayer just as I say that date. The film debuted at number three with a $5 million take. Number one was Aliens in its third week. Number two in its debut, Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives in August on a not Friday the 13th weekend. I smell shenanigans, but also debuting that weekend. Uh, Nothing in Common debuted at number eight with 3.2 million and Flight of the Navigator debuted at number nine with 3 million. But the reason why we are here, not because, you know, this movie is awesome because it is, that's not the only reason are the critics. Over at Metacritic, this film has a meta score of 28 and over at Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score for this cult classic is only 38%. And the tomatometer is 14. Wow. Right? That's really low. Now, I, I've come to expect the critics suck. I've come to expect a low tomatometer. But for the audience score for this film to only be 38%, Are you surprised? I am. I really am. Because as we were watching it, and again, it would be a rewatch because I'm not going to say how old I was when it first was released in theaters. But there's no math on the test today, so we're not going to do that math. Uh, But having seen it when I was young, quite young, count them on two hands young, and two to, hands and two feet. And to rewatch it, to rewatch it now, how many times did I say, I forgot how great this movie is? Right? Like, I come mean, on. yes. Movies like this that, that fall into that cult camp kind of feel, it's going to have a very select audience. I do understand and appreciate that. But this feels like the kind of film that with age, comes a greater appreciation for just how fun it is so i'm not gonna lie the audience score being 38 percent, i expected a much wider swing from critic score to audience score so i'm a little disappointed in humanity at this point that the audience score is so low right right sad with the audience right not necessarily the critics because you know because critics are not human to begin with it's the rest of humanity that worries me (laughs) (laughs) that's why we hide in the basement but let's get to the breakdown of this film here we're going to start with howard t duck the majority of the in-suit work was done by ed gale and of course chip zine did did, i think a great job with the voice of of howard but how was howard on screen for you oh my god just mesmerizing just like you just want to hug him and no doubt that Becky? Is it Becky? Beverly. Beverly. Ah, no doubt that Beverly, like, was taken with him. I mean, he's, he's a duck, but he's very human. Probably more human than most of the characters who were introduced in this movie. Right? You know, like, uh, I mean, he, he, he's, he's a human duck. How could you not love him? Right? I mean, this is one of those situations where 
I know there's a lot of hate on for some of the CGI work that's done in movies and film today. And and I'm not here to crap on the CGI artists because they deal with a lot these days. They're, they're asked to do so much in a short span of time for movies that are primarily CGI, especially when it comes to comic book movies. But here was a time, you know, and, and you have to realize that this is six years after uh, Frank Oz made us believe in a little green puppet, you know, and thinking he's the wisest creature in the universe. And still to this day, we believe that, you know, we're, we're a couple of years after the Dark Crystal. Um, there was a lot of good puppetry and animatronic work that was done in the 80s and 90s. And this is definitely one of them. Like That is such a good point, Jay, because when you think about it, like it was that time when you've got Fraggle Rock and the Muppets and like, um, oh God, what else? What I was, I was thinking of um, like Elf. Elf oh, was right. big. And I mean, again, like Muppets were, he was it not there was a, a tv series as well with a, a, a flappy dog do you remember oh there, there were there were many instances of um you know puppetry like humanizing puppets yeah elf uh, i mean they had a alien puppet in their house elf, and terrorizing it, cats everywhere it wasn't weird right you know but that was the time like we don't have that anymore. Our kids are growing up without puppets, and that's sad. Right? Sad. I mean, Disney Plus is starting to put some more stuff together. Like, they just did the Muppets Mayhem series. True. Uh, you know, so so there is still Goosebumps. that out there. That was <sighs> ventriloquist doll, but, you know. Okay, okay. So, Slappy is, you know, scary rather than cute, right? But... Chucky? Oh, right. But, <laughs> but there was the thing, right? That right? first Child's Play film, you know, because of the way it was filmed and because of, you know, I, I think cinema goers were more ready to suspend disbelief for the animatronics and the puppetry that was involved. But the thing is, they put a ton of work into this, first of all. And we watched a, a, a documentary from the from the, the, the anniversary DVD of, of this film. You know, and you've you've got Ed Gale talking about how it was hard for him and, and sometimes near impossible for him to see out of the suit. So he was doing a lot of the physical acting and walking around from memory from the set, just from like doing walkthroughs. And the fact that you had not just someone in a suit, but you had a team of animatronics working the eyes individually, working the the the, the eyebrows, working the bill. Like there was a and and it was there's no wires. Right? Actually, there were. Was that not, that was part of it. That uh, well, but when the chair is dragged into, you know, through the portal to go to Earth, um, there were wires in there. But, I mean, there were batteries involved. It's not like he was attached to power cables or anything. So, it oh, was very movement. much, exactly, it was very much remote control work. So, I mean, there's a lot, there's a dance that comes into um, working animatronics live in the moment on set you know and they're reacting to leah thompson acting with you know ed gale in the suit so the animatronics operators are are literally acting in the moment with their joysticks like you have to appreciate 
the amount of work that went into making Howard real. You know, it's not like um, and the movie is escape. Who framed Roger Rabbit? It, you know, it's not like Bob Hoskins when he was, you know, acting to probably like little tennis balls to 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 point out where the the the, the cartoon character was supposed to be. Here, you had an actual Howard the Duck, you know, as real as it can be, on set and acting with like that to me still stands out as and he looks good it's not like he looks bad they put a lot of work into making howard look real and so cuddly too i mean how could you not want to just like hug the duck like he just looks so soft and cuddly see okay i have a howard the duck crush i don't know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but no like seriously it, it was so well done that he was just so believable, mm-hmm. right? Like it made it real. Like this is a real person, not just a, a Muppet with strings. The choreographed dance that the animatronic operators were doing um, should definitely be heralded. And, you know, it allowed the movie to achieve that sense of realness that today would just be someone in a mocap suit, you know, and probably with a little picture of like Howard the Duck around the stomach so you can tell exactly how tall Howard was going to be kind of like with with Thanos and he's got like a little picture of Thanos's head up above him you know while he's on set um I I appreciate that realness and I think that's why the work they put in still stands up today so really if you're one of those people who are out there and complaining about CGI work in films go back and watch Howard the Duck Right. And then and then ask yourself, is cinema better today with the CGI work or was it better then with real things to act against? So I'm going to ask you, do you think the comic book movies are in a better place today with what they're able to do? Or was it, you know, the, the work of, of you know, the, like the, the animator or the animatronics operators on Howard the Duck that made this real? Well, I definitely think the technological advances were absolutely necessary to pull off a lot of the, the, the scenes, a lot of the just out of this world visuals mm-hmm. that, you know, Marvel holds up to, or even Star Wars, you know, the, the newer Star Wars movies were so visually stunning compared to, Oh God, I'm going to break the internet again, but if you compare the first three movies to when they were being re-released. The prequels, the, yeah. The prequels, the prequels that look far more crisp. Fake? Uh, fake? Well, I, okay. I, I, I will argue that. But visually stunning. You know, I'm going to argue that one here. Um, what they were able to do with light and shade with the modeling in the original three films still holds up today right you you go back and you, t- you take a look at the phantom menace and a lot of that cgi work just feels so especially when you've got the um, uh all, all the all the droids that are landing on uh, on naboo it just feels so playstation 2 and mm. it, uh, that does 
what they've done now with the newer films, seven, eight, and nine, whatever you think of those films, I don't care. But a lot of their CGI work was so much better now. But getting back to Howard the Duck, right? It's not just the team behind the physicality of Howard the Duck. You know, kudos to Ed Gale and anyone else who was in the suit and, and the team of animatronics operators. But Chip Zeal, or Chip Zine, like, I think it's better that they went with a voice that's not as easily recognizable. Mm. See, I was going to point out I would be fascinated to hear Jay Leno voice Howard the Duck. But then it would just feel like Jay Leno. Yeah, true. Right? It would feel like a Jay Leno puppet. I mean, honestly, taking a look at the people who were considered uh, for the voice of Howard, right? Um, John Cusack, Martin Short. I mean, their voices are very easily recognizable. John Cusack, I could see, right? Um, Townsend Coleman, who, who voiced the tick in the animated series. I think he would have been cool, but there, there was something about Howard's voice. As played, you know, by by Chip Zine. And it's tiredly sarcastic. Mm-hmm. And it so fits the character and just his disposition. Well, that's the thing. I think John Cusack would have made Howard a little more, I don't know, um, neurotic. <laughs> <laughs> You're going back to America's Sweethearts, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. I, I'm just, but even, even at that, it's like, no, I mean... How many times watching it, I was like, who is the voice of Howard the Duck? Yeah. Because I was intrigued. Because he, you're right. He just has that, like, I don't know. It, it's it's the pacing, the tone, that little edge of sarcasm. I mean, the one-liners, the writing in this movie is fantastic. It's oh, yeah. so funny. I, I mean, understandably so. For the majority of this film, Howard is in, and I'm going to apologize right now howard's in a bit of a foul mood (laughs) but no but the delivery yeah of the lines was on point it was completely perfect now that being said uh current incarnations of howard the duck as as has appeared in guardians of the galaxy and what if uh is now being voiced by seth green and i think he has you know nailed the same kind of foul mood kind of disposition that 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 chip zine is uh was able to convey in this film see rewind there help me out with this because i do i was sitting here trying to recall i remember um just seeing a very quick shot of howard the duck like reading a newspaper or a magazine or something yeah in what movie was that it was guardians of the galaxy guardians of the galaxy but he wasn't it wasn't a speaking role, was it? Uh, a little, like there's like one or two lines kind of thing. It was it was more post credit scene than anything else. It's in What If, the episode where um, Thor is, you know, Loki was was the good son and Thor was not so much, and you had Howard the Duck trying to hook up with Cat Denning's character. Okay, I need to rewatch that. You need to go so rewatch what animated. If, yeah. Animated, yes. Okay. Um, but it's one of those things where the work that they put into this film, this 1986 film, has gotten us to the point, and the, the lovableness of Howard the Duck in and that can, film got us to a point where now that he shows up in Guardians of the Galaxy or What If, people are like, holy crap, it's Howard the Duck, that's awesome. 
right? But can I just give props to, it's not just the movement of Howard the Duck. I mean, yes, it was acted superbly. Um, The actor in the suit did an amazing job. The voice work, perfect, on point. But it was when they were on, what's the name of their planet? Well, in in the city of Marshington, D.C. Right, Marshington, D.C., Okay, so whatever planet it was, because it was never really established. I, I think it is. I can't remember what the actual planet is called, but you know his his license said Marshington D.C. Okay. Anyway, my point also, is duck buns for days. While they were showing the different vignettes of the different duck stories, right? Different like characters mm-hmm. or, or na- the neighbors of Howard the Duck well, I, on his planet. I, well, as he's watching TV too and all there's all those duck commercials. Right. But I'm talking about more so like when he's, you know, his chair is being dragged through when he's how many different to earth. Yeah. Different stories, um, literally different apartments in his building. Um, like how fantastic were each one of the actors, right. you know, the couple that was in bed and um, just yeah, different, like all of the, all of the actors who played different ducks, not just Howard, mm-hmm. were so great, Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, and for, for the little amount that you would see them. Also, it was 1986 when I discovered that ducks apparently have boobs. <laughs> I, th- these are the things I learned from cinema. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, 
you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Um, let's get to some humanity here, if you will. And let's talk about Leah Thompson is play, uh, playing Beverly Switzer. Um, how much fun was she? Oh my God. She was perfect. And her hair, the crimp style, like literally my, the ends of my hair were screaming when they saw this scene again, they were like, no, God, no, don't bring that look back. <laughs> like how many times did I almost literally burn my hair? with my crimper. Right. The, it was the eighties. We all had very dry split ends. Right. <laughs> but the thing is, um, Oh, and tall bangs. Yeah. Well, exactly. Right. And I think she kind of had both in the same hairstyle. Um, but the thing is she plays this so wonderfully, but blissfully naive. Like there was a duck that fell out of the sky and saved her from being attacked. And she kind of takes it in stride, you know, and there's the scene, there's the scene where, you know, they're, they're kind of playing around in bed. And yes, this is, uh, I'm still talking about Leah Thompson and a duck here, you know, but it's just so playful and fun. And the fact that she actually has very good comedic timing too, like some of the one lines that she was popping out there during, especially when things were starting to get crazy near the end, like, it's a fun role. Oh, yeah. She must have had such a great time. Like, really? I mean, she was the only person, though. Actually, no. It, it did boggle my mind how so many different um, actors would just be so accepting that, okay, there is a human duck <laughs> standing in front of me like... the this should be odd to most people, you know, like the people who were screaming outside of the right I, it, museum or whatever it was. It makes me wonder. And, and Ohioans, I, I, I don't mean to disparage you in any way, but in 1986, how f- up was Cleveland that people take a walking, talking three foot two duck as the norm. <laughs> Like there's something in the water in Cleveland. I love the school teacher. Right. <laughs> Who like <laughs> willingly brings the class over to this, you, you know, know, at the museum at least. So it's like, you know, maybe it's an animatronic kind of thing for the kids. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but I think this is where the animatronics and the suit actually help, right? Being able to play off of Howard the way that is. I mean, there's the scenes where, you know, uh, by the way, film's almost 40 years old you should have seen it by now if not you have failed so spoilers like a mofo but there's the scene at the end where the dark overlord has revealed its true self and she's you know everyone's really acting to what is not there right the acting with howard is much better than the acting to what's not there even though leah thompson still does a very good job that's where real things on set help the acting, I think. I agree. And even the creation of the overlord monster that kind of looked like, what was that I said to you? I'm like, I don't think I'll ever eat crab meat again. Right. (laughs) The dark overlord of the universe. Right. Let's move on to, I can't believe this is Tim Robbins, but it's a young Tim Robbins uh, playing Phil Blumbert. Um, How insane was he to you? 
Oh my God. So uh, I'm going to start by saying I really do like Tim Robbins. <laughs> Nothing to lose. Um, network? No. Tape heads. Ah, uh, thank you. Tape heads. Um, he generally, when I see Tim Robbins, and even when I saw him come on screen the first time, I was like, oh, and then he lost me with his, he was too over the top in this role. I think like his manicness and, and it started to wear off. I mean, I'll admit maybe he was just a little out of sorts cause he's never met a duck before, but I just found he was just too much in the first scene where we introduced. But you know what? Again, he came around as, um, you know, the movie went on, especially at the end. I kind of, I really love how he was just kind of the stagehand and working, you know, for the band. Yeah. For Howard. But that being said, I am so glad that you were the one who said that Tim Robbins was a little over the top because I thought he was way over the top. <laughs> See, I was being kind because I still really like him. Right. And, and I I understand that this is early in his career. You know, this is before movies like The Player, right? This is before he really established, established you know, his acting game on this, right? Um, he's trying to act so over the top. And, I, and I, maybe it's one of those things where he took a look at the script thought it was just a straight comedy as opposed to a fun action film. And and that's the thing. He went in with zany comedy energy and everyone else is fun action level. But I think though, I could defend it by saying like, what would your initial reaction be if you met a space duck? Like seriously, Dinner it, was, it, was, it was kind of out <laughs> of his... It was out of his norm, and you could tell that there was also the hope that this was his ticket to fame, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, maybe that's where he was coming at it with that. You know, he was he was gonna he it was just something that he wasn't comfortable with, so he just <laughs> didn't know how to act, <laughs> like. That, I don't know. That's the one thing I, I will say I did like about the writing of Blumberg is that there were moments when he came off as really sus, right? How Howard is just his his golden t- his golden egg has basically come in at this point. Yeah, duck puns all day. <laughs> um and like he's basically going to use Howard as his way to scientific stardom. You know what would have been nice though? If we had met him before um, before Howard was dragged into his office in a garbage bag. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if he would have been at the bar, maybe you would have seen that he, it, there was that relationship at least built with, with well, Beverly. Well, like, thing. well I mean, remember too, that he's kind of in and out of a relationship with one of the cherry bombs, right? So there's that. Um, I mean, yes, there was an opportunity to meet him, but I think meeting him the way we did almost had to happen that way I, I think it would be like if we met Phil before that moment um, it would be putting the cart before the horse yes and no because at that point at least it would have opened up like it would have been an opportunity to see that he's just a real person maybe slightly awkward you know maybe overly infatuated with his 
on again, off again, rock star girlfriend, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like, but at least introduce him because otherwise you're dragging Howard the Duck in a garbage bag into some crazy man's office. And you're like, who the f- is this guy? Like, where, where did he come from? What is their backstory? Does Beverly trust him enough? Like, how does she know him? Like, well, she knows it through the band, and yes, it, it. I'm of two minds. I see where where meeting him beforehand would at least help establish that, but to the same token as well, um, there's this thing where, you know, if you introduce him beforehand, before we meet Howard, there's this. Oh well, that's a convenient character to have on hand just before a duck lands on Earth. No, but you wouldn't be introducing him as a wannabe scientist or as they said, janitor. Right. (laughs) Um, But introduce him at least as a person in connection with the band. And then that way it's not completely weird Mm. that Beverly would turn to him and in, in trust, right? Like at least it would have been like, I don't know. Like there would have been a common thread, mm-hmm. right? There would have been some reason to trust him. Yeah, I mean, you had to. I, I think reintroducing him um, by reconnecting with his relationship after the gig, kind of thing. I think that kind of helps, for lack of a better term, retcon it and justify um, Phil's existence in all of their lives. Um, right, because otherwise it did just feel like... Like out of the blue, he, yes. Well, more so that he would have used Howard as a golden ticket. Yeah, exactly, right? But right? that's the thing, because he's taking phone calls and running out kind of thing, he straddles the line between helpful and sus, and I think that's smart writing when it comes to Phil, even if it is being overacted by Tim Robbins. Let's move on to Jeffrey Jones, who played Dr. Walter Jennings slash the Dark Overlord of the Universe. And before we do, I do need to reiterate that when it comes to actors uh, with a slightly checkered personal history, I, I do like to put it out there that we are not talking about Jeffrey Jones as the person. Um, we are only talking about his work in this film. Um, that's it. We're talking about 1986 in Howard the Duck, Jeffrey Jones, full stop. Okay. Now, that being said... Um, how was he for you? You know what? I'm so glad that you started with that because I was just going to simply say every single time I see him on the screen, I'm like, oh, the guy from Beetlejuice. And you know what? He is just that quintessential. Like 80s, 90s. Yeah. From the, from the era. And, and so again, when I saw him, I was like, oh. That, you know, you just know it's going to be a good role. Mm-hmm. With that said, however, I, as far as like his transition into the Dark Lord, I. It's a little could, campy. Could, could anyone, could any, could I see any other actor pulling it off? I don't know, but it just got to the point where it, it became a little horrifying actually to see him like with that crazy stand-up gray hair and mm-hmm. he, like just the transition. I mean, I can, mad respect to the makeup artists on this one because they did a fantastic job making him just horrific. <laughs> like <laughs> the thing of nightmares, actually. Hear me out on this. 
But if I'm if I'm going back, and I'm not saying Jeffrey Jones was bad in the role, but if I, if I'm recasting this, Christopher Walken. Oh, <gasps> yes. Okay. Yes, and yes, wholeheartedly. But I mean, here's the thing. Whoa, wait a minute, though. Do you not think he would be a little over the top? Keep in mind too, this is 1986, right? We're not talking dancing in a fat boy slim video, Christopher Walken. We're talking about a much younger yet still kind of out there actor that would be able to pull it off. Yeah, I I don't know though. I don't know. Of course, then we'd have Dr. Jennings dancing all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Which I would be fine with Dr. Jennings dancing all over the place. Um, I had to look this up because admittedly, as much of a geek as I am, I'm not going to sit there and say I am an expert in all things Howard the Duck as far as his comic book background goes. So I was curious about to just how much, you know, some of this material, the source material was pulled from the comic books. The Dark Overlord of the Universe is actually comic book referenced. The The actual character is Thog the Nether Spawn, Overmaster of Sominus. And when you realize that they were trying to send a beam to the, the, the nexus of Salmonis to bring back more Dark Overlords, it's like, oh, okay. So someone actually did their comic book research on this one here. Um, I like, as you mentioned, like with the makeup and whatnot, I like the gradual progression of Dr. Jennings to become the Dark Overlord, right? Yes, he was doing a lot of work with the voice. Yes, he was really encompassing the really strung out on caffeine kind of look that they were giving him. Um, And again, remember it's 1986 at this point we're into kind of, this is where the fun happens in this film. You know what I also liked about the writing is the physiology that they, they tried to put into the writing, Mm -hmm. you know, as he's driving, (laughs) he's, he's still a doctor. Right. So he's basically narrating what is happening to him internally as he's becoming this evil dark lord. So you kind of have that balance of like he he's incredibly brilliant, mm-hmm. you know, as a doctor. However, <laughs> he's also turning into this like evil creature that they they have no idea from the inside out yes at this point they have no idea what's happening to him he's literally just driving recklessly and seems somehow possessed but nobody quite knows what happened at that point um so it it was really really well done like very smartly written Mm -hmm. um but at the same time as all this is going on rather than and this is (laughs) You know, people will joke about like, you know, Marvel, you know, being all, you know, Captain Quips kind of thing when the action is going up. But like, all you have to do is go back and watch this film because as the action is is happening in this this late second, third act part of the film, the one liners are coming fast and furious. Right. And it's I forgot how quippy and funny this script actually is on a what's written on paper level. Like the honestly, the one-liners in this, right? Like, you know, the end of the world is coming. It's like, oh, no, you haven't even tried the food yet. It's like, come on, like this is really good, right? <laughs> the fact that they're serving, you know, in the special breakfast kind of thing, like two eggs to Howard the Duck, right? It's like, do I look like a cannibal to you? Like, <laughs> this script is so funny that when you go back and watch it afterwards, and you know. Put it into perspective. We're not going to say how old we were when this movie came out, but, you know, like we're much older now and it's still 
that funny. It holds up. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the duck puns are chock-a-block full of, you know, throughout the film. And every one of them is like, you know, Breeders of the Lost Ark? Come on. Indiana Drake? Yeah. Like, Play Duck? Right? Blooming Quacks or Blooming Ducks? Right? Like, bring it all on. This film knows exactly what it is. Now, in preparation for this, I, I joked around that you'd have the Howard the Duck song stuck in your head. Yes, that's Leah Thompson singing. Yes, they learned to play those instruments. And apparently Leah Thompson still has that guitar, her cherry bomb guitar. Um, but does the music, and yes, it dates it. It's the 80s. You were like, oh, there's a guitar, right? Yeah. But did the music get in the way? No, not at all. In fact, um, what was that slow, kind of sad song that she even said? She's like, no, this is bringing me down. Like, right? Like, even to hear that again <clears throat> years later. <clears throat> um, Math is not on the it test was, today. It was so, like, these are the songs you remember. Mm-hmm. Although, I will say that I remember Howard the Duck theme song to be just a little different. Like, I don't know. I, I will say, and, and this was a bit of an 80s trend, right? You would have these ballady type songs where the lyrics are literally written to help tell the story of the moment at the time, right? To the point of at times it felt like Howard the Duck the musical. Also, now I want Howard the Duck the musical. Oh, make it so. Right? That would be great. And yeah, Hunger City, the first song you hear in this movie kind of gets stuck in your head. Like of all the songs on that soundtrack, um, that's the one that I think is still stuck in my head as we're sitting here recording this now. But, you know, it, it is a very 80s synth heavy soundtrack. And for some people, that's great. It's definitely of the moment. Um, if ever Marvel gets around to bringing Howard the Duck into like regular usage in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you have to, I think, orchestrate some of those songs. I also want to see the Marvel uh, musical. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> I can do this all, all day. day. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things, though, that the critics probably used as a, as a catalyst for ranking this as low as it is, is that this is Lucasfilm. You know, this is three years after Jedi. This is two years after Temple of Doom. Right now, and it's funny too because this movie, because of how this movie did, is part of the reason why we have Pixar Animation Studios today. So let me let me explain. Let me explain. So Lucas had just built ILM, right? Like built it up and was like, okay, Howard the Duck, we're going to put this out there, and if the movie does well. This is good. This is what's going to get me in the black. It didn't. It bombed. And Lucas was apparently like trying to start to sell assets off in order to kind of recoup some of the money that was invested into in creating ILM. Steve Jobs came in, um, invested, bought, and paid better than market share, according to Wikipedia, right? Like really kind of helped Lucas out. That investment and that partnership is what built Pixar Animation Studios. So the reason why we have movies like Toy Story today 
is partly because Howard the Duck bombed. Can I just ask, though? Because Howard the Duck, a Lucas film. Yes. Okay. And he produced. He didn't direct. Okay. Um, Disney buys Star Wars and basically Lucas. Exactly. So Disney owns Lucasfilm and Marvel. And Marvel. Right. But Disney had Marvel beforehand or acquired Marvel after? Because this is a Marvel property. Way after. So, Howard the Duck Mm -hmm. is a Marvel character. Yes. Produced by Lucasfilms. Yes. Disney... Mm-hmm. Now owns both. My mind. Right. Blown. And it, Disney also owns Pixar. So let me put it this way. So Disney bought Lucasfilms before buying Marvel, but still owned a Marvel product. No, I think they actually got Marvel before Lucasfilm. Because the Marvel Cinematic Universe was kind of like, you know, the the, the Disney spearhead. So was this that transition between, well, we own Marvel, but we don't own this, this is, the Duck. This is Disney playing so the need- long game and, and purchasing some of the thing, like some of the, the rights to some of the biggest franchises of all time, right? Like Star Wars, whatever you think of the prequels, whatever you think of, you know, 789, Star Wars is one of the biggest, most successful franchises ever created, right? It makes sense for Disney to buy it, right? And take those properties and intertwine them into the full Disney experience. And I personally think that Disney picking up Lucasfilm and spearheading Star Wars, like, I'm not going to sit there and say Last Jedi was the greatest Star Wars film. I'm not going to sit there and say Rise of Skywalker was the greatest Star Wars film. But because of Disney, we have The Mandalorian. We have the Obi-Wan series. We have Andor. And that's the thing. Obi-Wan and Andor, like they're all Emmy-nominated this year, right? And you have arguably one of the best Star Wars films of all time under the Disney umbrella, and that's Rogue One. Like, I sit there and flip-flop between Empire and Rogue One as being the best Star Wars films of all time. I'm not saying that Disney should go and remake a Howard the Duck film, standalone from the MCU. But if Disney came out and said, by the way, we're making a new Howard the Duck film separate from the MCU as like a Marvel special presentation, similar to what they did with Werewolf by Night um, and the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, count me in. Like, here's, sign me up. Here's what I want. Dear Disney, I want the ride that Howard the Duck took on his chair going, literally being dragged. Backwards. through Backwards, right? <laughs> through Duckville all the way through to Earth. Right. right? I, and, and then to land in a dumpster or on, oh no, he landed on a uh, motorcycle. Yeah. On, he, on Earth. He, I, I he want landed that. in a, a bunch of different places <clears throat> in Cleveland. I, I want that ride. Yeah. Make it so. So so, so <laughs> we need the Howard the Duck experience at Cleveland, a new Disney park experience. Yes. 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 Oh, my God. That would be amazing. 
Uh, right, right now, Disney's sitting there going, "Get the, get the yellow legal pad. They're spouting good ideas here. Start writing it down. <laughs> Don't tell them we're doing it though. We'll have to pay the money. Or we'll but get sued. Exactly. <laughs> um, does the nostalgia of this film though hold up? Because I mean, yes. this, this falls into one of those movies where you watched it as a kid and. You know, you're like, oh, this is so funny and so great. And then you don't watch it for like two decades later. Then you go back and you watch it again. And sometimes nostalgia is uh, a foul mistress, if you will. Yeah, I went there. Gem gem in the holograms. (laughs) Yep. Um, Your childhood memories of certain things that you watched as a kid um, have soured over time. Howard the Duck doesn't hold up nearly 40 years ago. 1000%. In fact... Midway through the movie, if our boys weren't connected to their video games, I would have restarted the movie and watched it with them because it was so great. It was, it is so great. It was, it is, it will ever be so great. And the thing is, while it's not necessarily a straight kids G-rated movie because um, you, know, you do have a lot of you know, for lack of a better term, mildly risque humor. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of innuendo in this film. Um, and Leah Thompson in her underwear, which, you know. But it wasn't as bad as I remember it for some reason. No, it wasn't, right? I mean, Leah Thompson in her, in her underwear in this, I think is equivalent to Princess Leia in the, the Return of the Jedi bikini, right? It's that equal kind of level of sexiness. And it's not overt. Um, you know, it's attractive, but it's not like, <gasps> we're, we're, it's not duck boobs. <laughs> we got duck boobs, right? Would that be chicken breast? I broke it. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did it. Oh. Yes. <laughs> and on that happy note, Twitter has chimed in on this one here. Uh the cult worthy podcast has chimed in with underrated masterpiece, duck boobies and all. And our chicken g- breast. Uh, right. And Brian Colburn from my weekly mixtape chimed in with Dolby's Cube is awesome. Awesome. Leah Thompson can sing and Howard does a great job air guitaring to Joe Walsh. Um, you know, thank you to everyone who chimed in on this one here, but I'm, I'm going to put it to you now after you've broken me. <laughs> God, <laughs> uh, Who is your MVP of Howard the Duck? Woo. Um, I got to go with Howard the Duck. Okay. Yeah. Big fan. Big fan of Ducky. Um, very, very well played. Well voice acted. The animatronics team did an amazing job. Um, the the man in the suit. Like, <laughs> to be able to dance in a duck costume. Mm-hmm. And, and as you had mentioned, that he pretty much walked his way around the set by memory. Yeah. Like, mad respect. The man was in a duck suit, mm-hmm. you know, which um, had to be really, really warm in there, too. Well, like, I mean, in in that little mini DVD documentary, looking back at Howard the Duck, he was saying, like, yeah, you know, going to the bathroom because, you know, you're sweating a lot 
while you're drinking. So it, it, the the liquid you're drinking doesn't have a chance to make it down below. So you, you don't find yourself because you're sweating it all out. Um, that being said, all the ducky jokes, by the way, the love theme for Howard the Duck, which we heard, you know, any, anytime Leah Thompson and Howard were together, uh, the song is called You're the Duckiest. Aww. I'm not even lying. The soundtrack is on Spotify, by the way. So go ahead. Um, as much as I wanted to give it, to Chip Zine and Ed Gale. I'm going with Leah Thompson because A, she's absolutely adorable in this, but it's it's her acting to the suit and the animatronics is what makes it real, right? If Luke in Empire Strikes Back didn't act so well with the, with the Yoda puppet, then we would not believe that Yoda was real. Leah Thompson did so well in this movie, we believed that Howard the Duck was real, and we could empathize with her emotions for Howard. Carrie, thank you for going down this road, and for two years of It's Not That Bad episodes, you finally broke me with a laughter. You you finally got me to, to, to burst out in laughing here. It took two years. But she got but me. But I did it. She wins. Chicken <laughs> breasts and all. Uh, to you, our listeners, you guys know the drill. If there is a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or is just so foul that there's no way in heck that we can find anything good to say about it, you see what I did there, right? Mm-hmm. Hit us up on Twitter or on social media at not that badcast or go to our website at notthatbadcast.com and while you're there make sure you check out our coming soon page and our blog so you can see what movies we are preparing to record episodes on and let us know your thoughts on those films we'd love to hear what you guys think until next time carrie you are lovely audience yeah you guys are lovely too this is it's not that bad take care It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.